All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to uh, episode 25 of the DFO Rundown. Uh, we are, I'm Jason Greger, along with Frank Saravalli. We're coming to you from the woodjerseys.com studio. Welcome to uh, woodjerseys.com to the program. Always great to have uh, more sponsors. And thank you for watching and uh, listening because the numbers keep going up and people want to be part of the show. So uh, we really appreciate that. You can go to uh, woodjerseys.com. They're officially licensed NHL apparel supplier. It's awesome stuff. Uh, take your fan cave to the next level as uh, Frank Saravalli joins us. And Frankie, I feel a little bit better on a Monday morning. I am feeling better. I did want to say welcome to woodjerseys.com. I don't know if you've seen them or checked out their product. If you haven't, go do it because the detail on this, like I am the least handy person ever to think about the the process that goes into getting every part of these jerseys, right? It's incredible. So definitely something you want to have. And they've got the seven Canadian teams right now, and they're going to be expanding to the rest of the NHL's 32 shortly. So get in uh, right now while they're still getting going. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, Speaking of uh, getting going, uh, we're pretty much confirmed on who the playoff teams are. There's really the one spot left open, uh, Nashville or Dallas will come down to the final stretch. And it's got an interesting wrinkle to that because if Dallas does make it and they're they're finishing all their games on the road here in the regular season, if they make the playoffs, there's talk about them trying to go to 100% capacity for fans. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Like I'm – rooting for the Dallas stars to get in first off. Um, and, and one of those 
reasons why is because of that potential for the 100% capacity, not just what they've been through in this crazy season uh, with their COVID pause with the natural, natural disaster that they went through. Um, it's been an incredible year in Dallas. And I talked to their CEO and president last week, Brad Alberts, and that's exactly what they're weighing at the moment. They have the green light, Jason, from the city of Dallas, from the state of Texas, uh, to go to 100% capacity, 18,500 people. And they're just weighing right now is socially, is this the right thing to do? Is this the right thing to do for our part-time staff and ushers who would have to be enforcing the mask mandate? And what's interesting about it is that the NHL isn't going to stand in their way. If they meet all of the protocols and procedures, the league isn't going to step in and say, well, you really should go to 50% or you should go to 75% just for safety. If they have met all of their protocol, you know, the NBA has already said to the Dallas Mavericks who play in the same building, you can't go past 50%. But the NHL also, what's interesting about this, and this could have a potential playoff impact, and I'm wondering if it would, they are not concerned about the competitive balance part of this. If Dallas is playing... Carolina in the first round. And let's say Carolina is at 50% or 25%. They're not going to try and match that up. It, it, you know, you could be playing at hundred percent in Dallas and 50% in Carolina. Does that tilt any sort of balance in a series? Does that make a difference? I don't know. It's, you know, for the stars to be the first team, the first indoor team in North America pro sports to get back to 100%. Uh, it'd be something to see. Yeah, well, it would create a lot of conversations for a lot of people who might say uh, too early uh, for that, depending on, you know, the social conscience factor will, will be definitely a, what's there. Obviously, they got to get in, right? And that's what's challenging. They got Florida tonight. They got Tampa Bay twice. Uh, they do have the one game in hand on, on Nashville, but I think they have a, a little bit more difficult schedule. All five of their games are mm -hmm. on the road. So uh, we'll see if they even get against in. Chicago, though. Yeah, no, that's true. But, you know, the, the Blackhawks have got a chance. Yeah, no, they got a chance. I'm just saying the Blackhawks haven't been, you know, like the, the free space and the bingo card. It's, anytime no. you're playing five in a row, like I think Dallas is what, last seven or eight games of the season are all on the road. So you're on the road that long. That, that adds a little uh, extra challenge to it and what has been a very challenging season for sure. Now, speaking of, let's stay in that division, then we'll move on. The uh, Carolina Hurricanes, I'm not sure there was many of us who had the Hurricanes. Most of us had them as a playoff team, but to finishing first in their division and first in the NHL, you know, they're right up there with Vegas right now. Mm -hmm. And it looks like, you know, un unless there's a collapse by Carolina here down the stretch, that they're going to finish first. And that means Florida and Tampa, Frank, first ever battle of Florida in the playoffs. I would like to say I can't believe it's never happened, but the fact that Florida rarely ever makes the playoffs, I kind of, you know, you understand why that's the case. Um, but still, I mean, what a series that would be. Uh, oh. Just to, to go down as a hockey fan, could drive back and forth, little vacation, some warm weather, some sunshine, uh, and arguably some of the best hockey being played this season has been between those two teams. The games have been ridiculous. Uh, any game between Carolina and those two teams has been really good too. So, um, you know, Florida's had such a fascinating year. I don't think anyone would have picked that team. You know, you could say, okay, maybe they're a playoff team, but to be keeping pace with the defending Stanley cup champs, um, you know, they've been right there all year. That team has shown no sign of let up. And then they've only gotten stronger since the trade deadline. Like Sam Bennett has been ridiculous. 
No, he's been great with with Huberdo on that line. They, they've been fantastic for Bennett, and it it makes now Florida's opportunity to qualify Bennett at two point nine million. The way he's played for them, if that continues, probably a much easier decision than it, people thought it might be for Calgary two months ago. Yeah, and I I think all credit in this case goes to Sam Bennett because for the longest time in Calgary, he had said, "I'm better than what I've been able to show here," and. I think they chalked so much of that up to opportunity saying, you know, I haven't gotten an opportunity to play here and showcase my skill set the way it can be that I'm sort of being pigeonholed as one type of player. I'm more than that. And so I think at this point with the number of games that Sam Bennett had played in this league, you were saying maybe not like, you know, at a certain point, you kind of are what you are, are what your stats show and what your production shows. And he's gone to Florida and totally flipped that narrative on its head. We go from uh, the central over to the west and Colorado and Minnesota right now, it looks like they're going to meet up in the first round. Who's going to get home ice advantage? You know, a little bit of an advantage for Colorado because of their uh, games in hand. But you look at that, those two teams, and both of them are really led by their younger guys. Not that Nathan McKinnon's that young anymore, I guess Mm -hmm. we should say. But I I look at Minnesota – you know, for years, Frank, Minnesota was that team because they were so good defensively. They were like, ah, oh, you never know if they ever get in, they might do some damage, but they've become a much more exciting team to watch. Mm-hmm. I've watched more wild games than I think I ever have in my life. I think everyone is saying that. <laughs> that series really intrigues me because there's just something about Minnesota. Like I love Colorado. I love how they play. I just, I think Minnesota's going to give them a run. Yeah, I could see it. I still think Colorado would give they're going to be a tough out for anyone. Like, I don't care if it's Minnesota in the first round, you know, if it's Vegas in the second round or whoever it might be in the third, like I just see Colorado as a team that has only really scratched the surface this year, as well as they played in their last 20 games or 25 games. Like they're still not even playing as good as they probably could be. So, um, I like Minnesota. I, you know, Kiro Kaprizov has given that team such a shot in the arm, um, and, and you see it on a nightly basis. It's not just the fancy edge work. It's the way he's on the puck all the time. He, you know, give it, go get it back right away. Uh, he's a special, special player, and he's changed the feel of that team. And also, you know, let's be honest. It, it feels like there's been a, a, you know, a passing of the torch in terms of that team. And, you know, you, you once viewed it as sort of the, for the longest time, the Suter Parise team, and now it's the Spurgeon and Kaprizov and and all these other guys, the Greenways and Erickson X, all these guys that have really stepped up to make a big difference for Minnesota. Yeah, the, man, a lot of this two three matchups, like they really. It, you know what? I was thinking, you know, how good these two three matchups are. You know what that means? That in those two divisions in particular, the Central and the West, it really means something to finish first. Oh, hundred percent. There's, there's a big advantage there. No question. And, you know, you look in the other two divisions, well, in the East, we don't even know who who's finishing second or third. It's, you know, it's very close there. Washington seemingly has the advantage maybe to, we don't know who's finishing first. Yeah. 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 Like Washington, I don't know what the odds are, but they're probably slightly ahead now to finish first, but it's not by much at all. Whereas, you know, the, the North is pretty much set. Now I know that if, uh, if Winnipeg really continues to falter that maybe Montreal catches them, but Winnipeg, they, their remaining schedule is a lot easier where Montreal plays Edmonton twice and Toronto three times. Meanwhile, Montreal plays uh, Ottawa and Calgary and Vancouver. So they definitely got the, uh, the easier schedule 
And uh, Winnipeg, sorry, Winnipeg plays those teams, not Montreal. And um, Winnipeg likely is probably still going to finish third, take on Edmonton. The uh, the Jets, we had Paul Maurice on the DFO earlier this year. They inaugural guest. Yeah, they've hit the skids, Frank. Um, mm-hmm. Injuries have played a major role. Nikolai Ehlers, I talked about when he went down. I thought that was a huge blow because he just drives so much for their team yeah. five on five. And Adam Lowry could be back in the lineup tonight for the Jets. Helps a lot, but I just... The Jets five on five play, and I've watched them uh, a lot here in the last three weeks. It's really kind of cratered. They're just not generating much. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, if you followed the team closely all year, a lot of what people have been sort of critical behind the scenes about are saying that this is all finally catching up to them. And it, it couldn't be happening at a worse time. Now, I think for the reasons you mentioned, Lowry coming back, Ehlers coming back, you know, you get a chance to maybe get Connor Hellebuck a little rest at a certain point and he can flip the switch into playoff mode. And, you know, can you get Blake Wheeler re-energized speaking of driving play uh, and, and back to the guy that he was for the first six weeks or eight weeks of the season. I don't know. I think there's an opportunity here for that team to hit a reset button when they get to the playoffs, throw out the record in the regular season against the Oilers, get these guys back, feel like a bit of a different team. And I, you know, I actually asked our guest about this, uh, Gerard Gallant, specifically about a team like the Jets. If you're a coach, how do you, you know, pull your team out of a spiral? Is it tougher at this point in the season? And you know, it's going to be a challenge for this team to get their confidence back to where it was because that's what spoke loudest to me was Andrew Kopp's words last week saying that this team's confidence was shaken. Yeah, it's amazing how timing plays such a big factor for any team. You you have a key injury in January or in a, or October, let's say in a normal year, you just have so much more time to get back. That player gets back to speed, and and lots of times teams that are playing well heading into the postseason just continue on that. And, and key injuries, like to me, there, there's nothing more devastating than a key injury to a team. Like you look at Tampa in 2019, right? Victor Hedman gets hurt in the fourth final game of the year misses the final three games. Then he comes back and plays two games where he's not remotely close to healthy. Like he couldn't even turn like David Savard turnstiled him. And I know everyone says it's a highlight real goal, but watch Hedman. He couldn't turn to the right. Clearly. Like you would never see a guy like that play that play that way. So, you know, certain teams and, and in this season, because it's been shortened, I wonder if we see teams, Frank here in the final two weeks of the season or week, I guess, depending if you're Pittsburgh or some other teams, if we see them potentially rest some guys more than they would in a normal playoff year, I'm very curious to see how that plays out here in the next 10 days. I would think about it. I think long and hard about it. And to go back to your previous point, not to hammer this home, this metaphor, but you know, using the jets, you need altitude. Any pilot will tell you. And when you get to this point in the season, you're running out of altitude to, to turn things around and to pull up and, and get your team in the right spot. But with regards to resting, we've never seen a schedule like this. Like you add in these COVID pauses that happened in March and it's thrown everything through a loop. You know, I know that we added an extra week to the season, but the games are, are so jumbled in there. You know, I, if I was a coach and, and I'm in a spot where, you know, even if I'm a team like Winnipeg and you're saying, well, we want to make sure Montreal doesn't catch us. I, that doesn't mean as much to me as having my team in the best position because you know, you're making the playoffs either way. Does it make a huge difference Edmonton or Toronto in the first round? You know, with the way that they've matched up against Edmonton, 
I'd say maybe it makes more sense for them to play Toronto in the first round. So, um, you know, you want to get your team right. And with 15 of the 16 playoff spots, largely having been decided the last one being Nashville or Dallas, I think it makes sense to take a step back and make sure your, your affairs are in order. It's going to be fascinating uh, down the stretch just because, and I know that in, in some places there's no fans and in other places there's 20% or 5% and, and some it's, it's up to 50 varying, but I still believe that home ice advantage has a big deal to this. Um, you get last change. And for certain teams, like you look at Edmonton, if you get last change and that means two or three times a period, Dave Tippett gets an offensive zone start matchup that he wants for McDavid. That could be the difference in a game because McDavid's mm-hmm. that good when he starts in the offensive zone. Right. So I, I think there's, I think there's a lot like in the Eastern conference, Washington, Pittsburgh, look at the home records of those teams, like home ice advantage, man, it means a lot. And so it's going to be interesting. Do they, do they say, yeah, we want our team rested, but man, I want the home ice. It's a great bouncing act. Well, you might also be able to take a step back and evaluate some other things. Like I know you mentioned this a couple of shows ago about the, the game within the game and watch how these matchups are playing out as we've sort of seen some of these playoff previews with these teams meeting so frequently, do coaches try different things? Do you want to get a look of this certain line against that line, see how that plays out. And if you get your doors blown off, do you say, okay, well, we know that doesn't work for the playoffs. Or do you try and evaluate something else uh, and the chance that you have? Maybe you, if you are resting, guys, get an answer on someone that you've been curious about. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I was looking at the East specifically, and there's really not a lot of uh, playing each other games. I, I think Pittsburgh plays Washington yep. and the Islanders once, and, and that's kind of it. You know, they're all playing Buffalo or Philly. Yep. Or, or a lot Rangers. of non-playoff teams yeah. against non-playoff so kind of weird in that sense so uh, maybe that allows them to uh, to experiment with a different line like I, I you know in certain teams I've seen that down the stretch so it will be fascinating one before we go to get to Gerard Gallant of course he started his career with the Detroit Red Wings I'm watching the Red Wings down the stretch here they're coming on but Bernier and Grice have both played so well like I I'm still I wonder if the reason Steve Eiserman didn't trade those guys Frank is that he really wants to re-sign a guy like Bernier rather than trade him for a third-round pick at the deadline and lose him. Because, And you look at the way he's playing, or maybe he was asking for too much, but it's still kind of surprising to me that some of the goalies who got traded leading up to the deadline, that Bernier didn't. Like I'm still kind of amazed by that. Yeah, I think there's so many teams, and I think we talked about this uh, last week, that have been sort of gun-shy about the idea of acquiring a goalie midseason. And I think that's why so few move this year and, you know, the Bernie one is surprising just because I, you know, just understanding a little bit of the Red Wings mantra in their own front office has been, we're going to try and get as many picks as we can. And, you know, even though we like these guys and, and potentially may want to bring them back, we can do that in the summer anyway. So, you know, I think the injury with Bernier played probably a small factor as well. The fact that he was out so long until right before the deadline that there were limited showings, but his record speaks for itself this year on one of the worst teams in the league. He's played, he has, uh, his record is nine, 11 and one. So in 10 out of his 21 games on record, he's picked up at least a point for a team that, you know, has largely played 400 hockey all season long. So um, he's been really good. Nine fourteen save percentage. And there's been a lot of other guys that uh, certainly haven't played as well that ended up staying in those positions with playoff teams, uh, that could have probably really take, gotten a boost from a guy like Bernier. 
Yeah, it's it's something interesting. That the goaltender free agent market this year is going to be fan just very intriguing to watch to see who moves around, what kind the of expansion term. draft. Yeah. I mean, that's that's well, they what got a lot of so options. much of it. Yeah, they got a lot of goalie options there. And no then question. that's why it's another interesting summer for a team like the Edmonton Oilers. Like Mike Smith has played so well this season. Uh, he's the NHL's comeback player of the year for me. No question about that. I don't think anyone's even close. But do you bring back a 39-year-old Mike Smith? What do you do? I guess it all depends on how the playoffs shake out. Yeah, no, that, that's totally fair. Let's get now to our uh, big guest of the uh, of the week, brought to you by Jock MT, MKT. That's Jock Market. It's a hybrid between fantasy and the stock market where you can trade shares of players in real time with other users. You want to be buying low and expecting a guy to have a big week or a big night and really cash in. It's loads of fun. If you want to play it, it's free for to try it. Use the promo code DFO20. That's DFO20 gives you a $20 deposit to try it out, see your luck, see how much you know the stock market and how much you know values of players. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And they have it for golf and lots of other sports. So check it out, jockmkt.com. Our next guest is the pride of Prince Edward Island. He played parts of 11 seasons in the NHL. And what's most impressive about that is in the four years, four straight years in which he hit 30 goals, he also had 200 plus penalty minutes and while you know him for his playing career, you also know him more recently for his exploits behind the bench where he guided the Vegas Golden Knights to the Stanley Cup final in their inaugural season, which earned him the Jack Adams Award as the coach of the year. So the DFO rundown is pleased to welcome Gerard Gallant. Thanks a lot for joining us. No problem, guys. Anytime. So we'll start here. Uh, you're coaching uh, in a very unique year at the World Championships. What ch- what has your preparation been like over the last number of weeks? Well, we just got it going. I found it about a week and a half ago that uh, you know they offered me the head coaching job with uh, with Team Canada. So obviously we got assistant coach and uh, coaching staff together. We started trying to put some you know some video together to get the system stuff down pat because uh, when we get there there's not going to be a lot of time there's no exhibition games we got the three days of practicing so we got to do our work now and get prepared for when we get over there. Now, when you're doing that work, Gerard, how much of an input and conversation is it with Roberto Luongo in terms of trying to target players because this is such a unique year. It's, I don't want to say there's a convincing process that needs to go on, but you got to have guys that are interested and willing to come to Latvia after sort of being locked down in the NHL with a really strict bubble for the last number of months. How's that process been in terms of trying to get players? It's going to be challenging. There's no doubt. The, f- the first day we had meetings, we talked about that. And we know it's going to be challenging. But you know what? It's Team Canada. You know, you, you, they, they treat you first class. And my, my, my past experience with Team Canada has been excellent. Like you said, the COVID world's different. It's going to take a, a lot of convincing. But there's a lot of guys that, you know, they're going to be proud to wear that Team Canada jersey. And uh, we're going to have to go out there. Roberto and Shane are, you know, working behind the scenes, talking to general managers and talking about some of their players. And uh, hopefully we'll get a good supporting cast and go over there and have a strong team. Gerard, I know you were sitting around watching games, but uh, you didn't really have a plan that you were going to be coaching Team Can. It's not like you applied for the job. They came mm-hmm. to you and said, hey, do you want it? So your own personal uh, decision when they approached you, uh, why was it the right time for you to take the job? 
Well, you know what? Uh, before I took the Vegas job, I was assistant coach for Team Canada with John Cooper's staff. So it's, hopefully it's a good omen that I get another opportunity in the NHL as a head coach. But uh, no, to be honest with you, like I said, the previous experience with Team Canada was excellent. So when they when they give me the chance to to be the head coach this year with this year's squad, you know, it was it was a no brainer for me. I wanted to get back into coaching. It's been 50 months since I've been behind a bench, so uh, I think it's going to work out real good and. And again, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a fun, fun three weeks. It's going to be different. It's going to be tough, but I'm going to enjoy it. You've been an NHL head coach for three different teams. You've been a head coach, assistant coach, head coach before. Is, is there a benefit at all of having time away? Do you, is there, you know, that recharging of the batteries? Is, is that true at all? Do you, do you find like now you're just like itching to get back? Did you need that? Or were you like, no, no, I could have coached for 15 straight years. It's not an issue. I, I didn't need that this time. I mean, I, you know, don't get me wrong. The, the three or four months was okay. You know, you got through that, but uh, when COVID hit and the 15 months hit and there was no job opportunities, really, I mean, nothing worked out. I mean, it, it was too long. 15 months is too long. I wanted to be back coaching before that, but again, there's a lot of positives from that 15 months being off. I had spent a lot of time with my family. I wasn't in the bubbles and stuff where, you know, a lot of guys weren't happy being in bubbles, but it's part of it. And you were sort of away from COVID. I mean, I've been in Prince Edward Island the majority of the time and there's been very little COVID down here. So it's been perfect in, in that aspect and a lot of time with my grandkids. So that was awesome. Yeah. The family time's great, jerk, Turk. But um, in this case, you know, when you are out of work for, for that period of time uh, and there have been a lot of coaching changes through that time, was there anything that you were close on? Were, were you having conversations with GMs about any potential opportunities? I mean, obviously my name was out there with the Washington job and the New Jersey job. So I interviewed for those jobs and talked to them and things went well. And at the end of the day, they went and hired somebody else. Then they hired two very good coaches. Peter Laviolette's a great coach. He's doing a great job there. Lindy Webb's doing a great job in New Jersey. So, you know, I got no issues with that. That's, uh, you know, that's the, the way that the, the, the hockey's seeing goals with coaching. And like I said, it's not a big deal for me. And I think I'll get back in here hopefully and we'll see what happens. But uh, again, we'll wait and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. When you are watching games, what are you keying in on? Is there anything that you're watching for specifically? Have you picked up on anything? Is there anything uh, systems wise, a new wrinkle? Is it the same old, you know, when we get to see you behind a bench again, are we going to see the same style? A lot of it, there's going to be, there might be a little bit different, a little tweaking here and there, but for the most part, it's, you know, I think my style suited me real well. I mean, our team were offensive teams with a lot of energy, played a fast game, worked hard and, and scored a lot of goals. And, you know, we were a pretty good defensive team, both of those teams too, in Florida and, and, uh, and, and Vegas. So, uh, you know, I think we had a good record. I think things were going real well. So it's just, uh, you know, I'm not going to change a whole lot. I'm not going to change the coach I was. I, I feel I had success and, and done a good job. And I think if you talk to players that, uh, that played under me, they think I'm a pretty good coach. You have a reputation. Of, uh, players have talked very publicly about how much they really enjoyed playing for you. Can you talk about maybe your coaching personality and why you think it connects to today's current player? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, uh, I treat the players with a lot of respect. I treat them, they come to the rink, we have fun. The fun's the biggest thing. We have a lot of fun. We work hard in our short practices and we get ready to play. And uh, to me, it's all about playing in the games. At seven o'clock at night or two in the afternoon, whenever we're playing, we play hard, we compete hard. And uh, I think anybody that you talk to, my teams play hard and they compete hard and they have a lot of fun. Now, Gerard, when you played, 
Uh, Frank was talking about you know, 30 goals, 200 pims. Uh, you know, you, you played with uh, Steve Eisman and you had a tough guy, a real tough guy in your line at times, Bobby Probert, but uh, you, you were uh, that mix of a power forward in the eighties, you know, tough as well. Do you find as a coach, do you gravitate to guys who have the different skill sets that you had, or do you appreciate the, you know, the different styles of players? How is that as a coach when it, when it comes to maybe, I don't know if there's a, a natural built-in bias of, Hey, this is how I played. I'd like guys to play it how I play. Well, I don't think there's not near as many players in my style back in my day. I mean, you know, the 200 penalty minutes, that doesn't happen much anymore. And you know, 35 goals, it's, it's a different era at that time. And, and I, I think, you know, in today's game, you need a mix of everything. You need some good character guys. You need veteran players. You need good young players that are coming up. Everybody has to be able to skate a lot of speed in the game today. So it's a different game type play. And like I said, I think I'm, as a coach with, a, you know, had some experience over the last 10 or 11 years that uh, you need a combination of everything. Is there one opportunity? I mean, I'm, you know, uh, Jason mentioned right there, the connection with Steve Eiserman. I think so many people are curious, you know, what happens this off season. Is there one potential opening or opportunity that you've had in mind? Like, like would Detroit be a fit for you? Um, and you know, what have you sort of, how have you kept busy in terms of, you know, monitoring what's going on around the league? You know what? I haven't paid a lot of attention to that, to be honest with you. I mean, like you said, I'm, I'm looking for my next opportunity. Uh, there's 32 NHL teams going to be here short. Oh, there's 32 now. So, you know, you're looking for a job. I mean, hopefully something comes up and the right opportunity. I'd, I've been in the position before where you get fired and it's never fun. So, uh, you know, you work, you, you do your job, you do the best you can. And uh, if there's an opportunity or somebody's going to give you a call and, and talk about a job, I'm looking forward to it. But again, I'm not, I haven't picked any team or looked at any team and said, I hope this team loses tonight. Uh, you know, this would be a perfect job for me. No, I haven't looked at like that. Not at all. Sure. And you mentioned um, the Vegas part of it. Have you kept an eye on the Golden Knights or has that been difficult? Uh, that's still difficult. You know, I mean, somebody asked me the other day about, about Florida. I said, well, you know what? I'm over the Florida thing. It's just <laughs> the, the front of your mind is Vegas now. And I have a hard time watching them. I watch them once in a while. Don't get me wrong. Cause they're a good hockey team and, and the coaching staff, the board knows that they did an excellent job there. So the, there's no hard feelings there really. It's just hard when you're watching the players that, uh, you know, you started that, that, that franchise with and, and for two and a half years. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're gone from that. So you still got a lot of good memories there, but it's not easy. The challenge of coaching an expansion team, Gerard, and it doesn't matter to me, I think, who takes the Seattle job to try to live up to Vegas's first season is almost impossible. You know, that was that's like the greatest yeah. expansion season ever. There's there's teams that have been in the league 50 years that don't get to the Stanley Cup, never mind in year one. Would you want the challenge of an expansion team again? Does like because it does seem very different. I'm not saying you go in expecting to lose, but it's rare that mm -hmm. you're an expansion team that you expect to be competitive right away. Yeah, no, again, it's to me, somebody calls me with the right opportunity, I'm going to look at it. And obviously, I'd, I'd be really interested in, you know, whether it's expansion or whatever it's going to be, you know, if it's, if it's a Seattle team or if it's a team that's got a chance to win the Stanley Cup, supposedly a, a high ranked team. But no, it's just an opportunity to get back in coaching again. And and truthfully, I believe in today's game, you can, you can turn your team around real quickly. I mean, there's, there's some teams at the bottom of the standings, and in a year or two years' time, they can be at the top understand I really believe that with the way the system is today so go back to kind of your scouting as a coach when you're watching games you know one game two games a night are you taking notes to see 
And is there significant differences in what other coaches implement? Because you you probably see the really minute details mm-hmm. of a game. Is there a significant difference overall, or is there really only three or four systems and coaches are running basically the same? Uh, that's what I, I – there's not a big difference in a lot of teams. I mean, everybody says they want to break their puck out the middle of the ice. Well, that's true. You know, sometimes you can't do it. So it, there's not a whole lot of difference in our systems. There's some difference. I think that – I think the biggest thing is when you do a little adjustment between periods on your systems and you're seeing how the other teams are playing. But I don't see a whole lot of difference. Like I watch Carolina and, uh, you know, I, I see that team play and they play a fast game. They're very similar to what I played in Vegas. And, you know, they work hard. They compete hard. They put pressure on the puck all over the ice. And, you know, it's a team that's going to work hard and play fast. And that's how they play. Have you enjoyed this rare, probably once in a lifetime season that we're having with uh, the teams only playing the same opponents every night? As a coach, would that be easier or more challenging because a, they know what you're doing. They see you all the time or conversely, you feel like, Hey, we know what they're doing. So we have a better chance to shut them down. Depends if you're the better team or not. <laughs> That's how, no, I mean, truthfully, I think it's a little bit too much. Obviously I think somewhere in between that would be real good. I mean, uh, playing teams eight and 10 times, and then you're going to meet them in the playoffs. That's going to be, you know, a little bit too much of it and a little bit too hard feelings. Like you said, you play teams three three times in a row and I think you get, you know, a little more fighting, a little more chippiness. So I'd like to be a fine balance of that. And just, a, a, you know, Toronto, Montreal, you'd like to see them, but you don't want to see them 14 or 15 times. You'd like to see them six, seven, eight times during a season in a playoff. You mentioned Carolina, Gerard. Is there a team that you really like watching? Yeah, they, I like the way they play. You know, I, I, again, they're a fast team. They play a real good game. They're, they're successful. You know, I, I like the way they play a lot. There's, there's a lot of good teams out there, obviously. I mean, you sit down and you say, who's going to win the Stanley Cup this year? And sure, there's three or four favorites. But really, again, there, there's, it's, it's an old cliche, but there's 16 teams that got a chance to win this year. And, and I'm trying to pick out who's going to win the first round of the playoffs. You're all over the board. There's real good teams. And uh, I, but one thing I did notice this year is some teams, some good teams go through stretches where they look real bad for two weeks. And, uh, you know, you look, look at, I think, a team like Boston, they had a real tough time you know, for a couple of weeks time. And then they come back and they win five in a row and they look real solid again. So, and I think that's more to do with the COVID and what's going on than anything else, because uh, there's some really good solid teams and pretty much every team has gone through a streak like that this year. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't really thought about that this year in particular. There has no teams been immune to that this year. And I don't know if it's the schedule or, you know, certain breaks that we've had with some of these COVID pauses. But if you had a team, you know, pick one out of the hat at the moment, the Winnipeg Jets who have had a tough last mm-hmm. two weeks as a coach, how do you start to pull a team out of that? And and now as you get towards the last couple of weeks of the season, is it more difficult to do with the playoffs looming? Well, I think as a coach, you're saying that, like I said, you know, Winnipeg's had a tough go the last five games and I, I think they're a real good hockey team. They play well, they're well coached. They do a great job on the ice and, I think that's a team that's going to come out of it and they're going to, you know, try and the coaches say, let's try and win a couple of games here, boys. We're playing better hockey. Let's get back to where we were. And I think they'll do that. And they'll have a, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll be a real good playoff team because they played really well most of the year and they just gone to a tough stretch. Lately. And, you know, the coach is trying to push them. Let's find a way to win here. Let's win this one game or win these two games. And then we'll be right back on track. 
Gerard, where did you get the coaching bug? Was was it late in your career as a player? Like, did did you stumble into it? How did you get into the coaching ranks? Well, it was just sort of, I was tricked into it, to be honest with you. At the end of my career, I was sort of, you know, you never retire as a player. You sort of get kicked out. So I was done playing. And I went back to my hometown PEI, and there's a junior A team that Doug McLean and, you know, Dave Cameron and a bunch of different guys always coached there, and they, they helped out there. So I went back, and I was doing nothing. And the head coach, Gerard Smith, he asked me, he said, why don't you come and, you know, give, give us a hand on, you know, practice night. So I said, yeah, I'll do it a couple of times. And then all of a sudden, a month later, I'm on the bench. And then a month later, he decides to quit. And, uh, you know, he's too busy with school, so – that's how it sort of sort of started, and uh, I enjoyed it. Like I said, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was tier two hockey players, and you know you knew a few drills from uh, from from your old coaches in, in the NHL. But uh, I had no idea how to coach, and you learn from there. And it was it was a lot of fun. I love that that you say you really had no idea, so you just kind of learned, and sometimes you get thrown in to see how you adapt. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to assume because uh, you know you make it to the NHL, you're an extremely hard worker. So, did you start reading books? Were you calling coaches? How did you start to learn what functioned and worked well for you as a coach? No, you know what? It was just sort of looking back at, at coaches you had, you know, the Jacques Demers, the Harry Neals, the bunch of different guys, Doug McLean, all these guys that were your coaches. And you said, you know, you, you take a little advice from some people like that, but I just sort of, you know, I learned early on, you had to be your own person, but I took a lot of a little stuff from, you know, like with Jacques Demers, I had my four best season of the player. And Jacques was an easy going coach and he wasn't a big typical X's and O's coach. And, you know, he let you do your thing, you know, and then he had Colin Campbell and Dave Lewis and those type of guys as, uh, as the X's and O guys. And, uh, so you took a lot from Jacques Demers. He was a he was a good person, and he let me play my game. So, do you feel are you are you like that personality coach mixed in with the, like obviously you got to be an X and O guy nowadays. There's more mm-hmm. X and O's maybe than ever before. But what? How do you go about that, knowing your strengths, and then do you ensure that a guy on your staff has better strengths in the areas that maybe you don't? A hundred percent, and that's like I said, Mike Kelly's worked with me for a long time. You know, in Vegas and Florida, in Junior and in, in St. John with Junior. So, you know, you know what Mike brings. Mike brings good to the table. Mike runs a good practice. Mike does a, you know, he's he's good at video. And and all coaches have to be able to do that nowadays. You know, it's not just one thing. And and I really, I'm a, I'm one of those coaches that really believe you got to use your staff. Yeah, I I got three assistant coaches on my staff. They're going to be used. I'm not going to sit there and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do everything. I'm not one of those type of coaches. And uh, they're important to your important to your group and they're important to your players. I'm fascinated by the the PEI connection. You mentioned Doug McLean and Dave Cameron. How tight is your, your PEI hockey community? Real tight. I mean, there's not a lot of us in the NHL from Prince Edward Island, but uh, we get together a lot in the summertime. It's a small province and you know each other very well. And like I said, I've known Doug McLean. I went to his hockey school when I was a little kid. So it's, uh, and Doug's not that much older than me, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's people, you know, and, and people you get a chance to. And my first coaching job in the national hockey league was assistant coach with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, uh, you know, obviously had the opportunity to get that job and Doug thought I could do the job and uh, he, he gave you an opportunity. So you, you respect people like that. Now, are there, you know, there's the list of hockey players from PEI. I think it's 34 that have made it to the NHL that were born on Prince Edward Island. 
How much more is there an influx, though, of NHL players and, and staff members that make it to PEI in the summertime? Do you, you know, are you guys all kind of connecting at a certain point, the guys who regularly oh, vacation there or stop there? Definitely, definitely. Anybody that comes to PEI is calling Doug, calling me. We're going golfing. You know, you, I mean, there's all kinds of golfing PEI, as everybody knows. It's beautiful in the summertime. So there's all kinds of people coming down. And, you know, I mean, Brian Burke used to come down here all the time to see Dion for often guys like that. So there's always people dropping by. And uh, like I said, anytime they come, they give you a call. And there's always big golf tournaments down here. You get all kinds of guys down, former players. You know, Paul Coffey loves to come down here. There's all kinds of, you know, the, the, old, the older veteran guys that come down to PEI a lot. Uh, Gerard, quickly circling back to where we started for, for Hockey Canada, when, when you make the calls, is it is it you? Do you kind of call maybe the players that you have a connection to, or is that Roberto? How does the recruiting process work out here? Because I, I think you guys leave on like the 16th, so like two weeks from now. Yeah, right now, it's basically what's going on is Roberto and Shane are calling the general managers. They're not, you know, a whole lot of talk with the players right now because the players are still playing. So they're just getting a feel of, you know, who's healthy enough to go if the season was over today and who who do you think would have an opportunity. So they're reaching out to guys, the, the, the guys, uh, agents and uh, general manager of the team pretty much. All right. Okay, Gerard, uh, we'd like to end uh, each uh, interview with uh, rapid fire. <clears throat> just some fun, uh, lighthearted questions, uh, some that will make you think. All right, mm -hmm. so uh, here we go. Uh, this one's pretty easy. What is uh, what is Gerard Gallant's uh, cocktail of choice uh, after a long day or after a big win? Crown Royal. Straight on the rocks or what? No, Crown and Ginger. Crown and Ginger, okay. What, what got you into – why is that your drink of choice? I've been, never been a big, big drinker, and, and actually it just it tastes good. I mean, I had one about 10 or 12 years ago. I always used to have a cold beer, but uh, – after about 10 or 12 years ago, like I said, we had a golf game and that's what was available. And ever since then, I enjoyed one or two. Okay. Uh, speaking of golf courses, what is the number one course you would recommend in PEI for someone to come play? Uh, Crowbush Cove is an unbelievable course. I, 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 I don't play it a whole lot, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's at the other end of the island. And uh, I play Anderson Creek and Green Gables, but Crowbush is, a, is an outstanding course. Okay. Uh, the nickname Turk, who gave it to you? Where'd it come from? It was a long time ago. I, was, I can't even remember. I was three or four years old and I used to go down to my, uh, my uncle's basement and he had, he was raising little turkeys and I used to get down there and chase them all the time. So that's one of my brothers called me Turk and it stuck. Okay. Uh, nice. Okay. Um, this might be a tough one. Who punched harder? Joey Koser, Bob, Bob Probert. Joey Kosher. Oh, okay. Um, what makes a good assistant coach? Doing a lot of my job. <laughs> no, a good, a, a good assistant coach is, you know what, when you're working behind the scenes, and, and like I always said, the head coach isn't right all the time, but you got to respect your head coach and you got to work with your head coach, and there's ways to help out with the player. You know, sometimes you come to the players and, you know, you're not going against your head coach, but you're working with them. And uh, I think a good assistant coach reads off the head coach real well. And that's, that's really important. Now I know you've played with some of these guys and you played against them. So you come in the room and you have to wear one of these helmets, Peter Klima's Butch Goring or Mike Felino's. who are you wearing and why? Uh, Peter Klima, just cause I play with the guy and, uh, I didn't like it. It was that, especially early years when he had that skunk hairdo at the back of his back of his helmet. And we used to make fun of him all the time, but uh, 
Peter's a good fella. Good friend. Okay. Uh, what advice would you give for the, if it's not you to the Seattle expansion coach on how to have success early? Uh, you know what? We, when I went into Vegas, there was no expectations. It was about competing and playing hard every night and having a lot of fun. And, uh, I think what we did, we just got on a roll early and believed in ourselves and the guys had a chip on their shoulders and, you know, the players, the players come in every day and whoever's, whoever's team we played that night, that the boys wanted to win for them. So they just had a little chip on their shoulders. and uh, We had a lot of fun. We, we had a lot of fun and enjoyed it. And uh, there was no pressure and you went and played and then by Christmas time, there was pressure. <laughs> and lastly, so you're, you're taking, you're in the drive through at Tim Hortons in Prince Albert Island, Prince Edward Island. You've got Crosby and McKinnon both set to serve you. Who do you want taking your order and why? Well, probably Sid. I mean, Sid's the old veteran who's the, one of the best players ever to play the game. And, and I love McKinnon too, but uh, you still got to go with Sid right now. And, uh, and Sid, and, you know, Sid was, Sid was doing the order when they do that commercial. So he, uh, <laughs> he was just rolling the eyes. <laughs> Awesome, Gerard. Thanks so much for this. We appreciate it. Uh, we hope to see you back behind an NHL bench very soon. And uh, best of luck with Canada coming up at the World Championships. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Gerard. Uh, Gerard Gallant, man, uh, he's a beauty. Now, just to clarify for people, I know that Crosby and McKinnon aren't from PEI. That was the whole point of my question. But everybody knows that those two guys are the uh, the Tim Hortons guys. Just for any of our Maritimers, I know that Sid and Nathan aren't from there. But that's why, that's why I said if he's in a PEI, Tim Hortons, and maybe they're visiting. So just want to clarify that. Good. Glad that we got that out of the way. <laughs> where do you? So, Jason, where do you think Turk lands? <sighs> Well, I, li I liked your suggestion of Detroit, right? Like you connect the dots, him and Steve Eiserman were teammates and, and, mates. Gallant, and, it, and it's not like they're, they're just a connection of teammates and line mates. Gerard Gallant has a really good track record of being a head coach, right? Mm -hmm. Like I I'm still stunned at why he's not the head coach in Vegas. Like what else could he do? So you could tell that that's still painful too. Like he didn't want to dive into it, but the fact that he's not watching probably says a lot. I mean, he built that, you know, helped build that team from nothing gets them, you know, to the Stanley cup final in two and a half years. That's all you get. Yeah. Like that. I think Gerard Galland, I, he's a coach. If, if I'm teams that are looking at, I think there's going to be a few teams this, this off season for sure. I didn't expect many coaches to get fired during the year when you got to pay for two coaches. So mm -hmm. I, I think we will see some changes, you know, Detroit just, it makes a lot of sense, Frank. And you know, it sucks for Blashill because he kind of had to be the coach during the down years. I don't care who was coaching that team. If you don't have talent, you're not going to win, but Detroit's a team that's now coming on the uptick. And that's, that's a team that I think if you're a head coach, you want to jump on board for it. Cause they've got a lot of good pieces. Have they in an odd way has Detroit exceeded expectations, like how bad that team was last year. I know they made some subtle improvements, brought in some vets, but I don't know. I mean, the, the thing about the Red Wings job is I think if you talk to their front office and Steve Eiserman specifically, they've got like four years to go. This isn't going to be a, Hey, we're going no. to turn it around next year or the year after. So you'd have to know what you're signing up for. And I don't, I don't know that he necessarily fits that. Like to me, Gerard Gallant is more of a win now guy. He's not like, you know, Jeff Blaschel is the guy that you have, a, you know, coach until you're there. And then you bring in a guy like Gerard Gallant. I don't know. I don't know that Detroit makes that much sense, even though those connections and ties are obviously there. 
you know, but look, he came into Columbus when he was a head coach in Columbus, they were just starting out, right? He's been in Vegas. He's got experience on having to be patient to know that you're not going to have instant success, but you're a guy who helps build your team to get better and become more competitive. And so I think I, there's I think better that, fits. That's all I'm saying. Uh, you, who do you think's better? Well, I mean, I, I mean, everyone wonders about Seattle, right? He did it in Vegas. Can he do it in Seattle? Oh, yeah. I think the question about Seattle is if he was going to be Seattle's guy, why isn't he already given the fact that he's been on the market and you could have hired him, I guess from Seattle's perspective, it's like, why do you need to pay a guy that is still getting paid from someone else? Uh, so that's part of it. There's so many, you know, there's so many teams that are going to have potential coaching changes. I'm just going down the list. Um, you know, does going back to Columbus make any sense? Oh, I'd rather go to Detroit. If I'm like, if I'm Gerard Gallant and you give me two options, I think Detroit's future might be better than Columbus right now. How's that possible? I know. I look at the standings. You'd say, yeah. oh, you could make that case, but yeah. well, maybe know, you, I should. You, you know, get a healthy me... Wawrenski and Jones. Yeah, I should. Got two good goals. Like, like they've they've got plenty of like this is a team that has been five straight playoff appearances in Columbus and yeah, they've got some work to do, but they've also got some cap space. And we had Yarmo Kekalainen on recently. He's a really smart guy. I'd go, I'd pick Columbus over Detroit okay. like, without even yeah. thinking. No, well, maybe part of that is just them and the coach have, have tapped out on each other. Maybe that's a big part of it. You mentioned Jones and Wierenski. That's, that's for sure fair. I just, I like the upside of Detroit a lot. I, now it might not be next year, but um, like it's four me, years out, like literally four years out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about four. I, well, four to be a cup contender, but to be a playoff team and win a few rounds is probably two years for Detroit. I think mm-hmm. um, the, the other thing is like, if, if it's Gerard Gallant and, and I asked him and he didn't, he didn't want to bite, which is totally fair, but I do wonder, does he like, would you turn down like Seattle for him? I think is, is too close to Vegas that everybody looks and says, well, he went to Vegas and they went to the Stanley cup final. So we're going to hire him. And if he doesn't, it's automatically considered a failure. He's not as good. So I, I think it's, it's a tough situation to take because the odds of them doing what Vegas did are extremely low. Number one, um, number two, because look at him, they're going to come in the, in that division. You got Vegas. Who's very good. And you got the orders who finally, after decades of suck are a team on the uprise with the two most uh, offensively gifted players in the league. So it's going to be hard to even get out of your division. Never mind go to the Stanley Cup final for an expansion team. So I think the comparisons would be too too close for Gallant. And even if his team has success, it won't be considered the same success because he didn't go to the Cup final. Yeah, but I think you have to throw that out the window. Like, can Ron Francis and the Seattle Kraken staff really even hold themselves to that? Like, it's insane what Vegas accomplished. No one's ever going to do it again. So to think that that's the standard that you need to live up to, I think, is unrealistic. But I think the problem with hiring a coach for an expansion franchise is sort of that fear of the unknown. How are things going to come together? And Gerard Gallant's done it. And -hmm. it's not just the success that he's had. It's also just the idea of creating your identity, your team culture, all those things that you want to establish right from the start. He helped do that in Vegas. And I think that's worth its weight in gold, not to make a Golden Knights pun, but to bring that same sort of attitude and approach to Seattle, I think would be really valuable. And not only that, but from a coach's standpoint, we talked about teams being years away. Don't you get a longer rope in Seattle? You know, you would think that he would have gotten that in, in Vegas, <laughs> yeah. two and a half years, Vegas. 
But I, I would think if you're going into Seattle, you have a realistic expectation that you're going to be there at least four or five years. Yeah, that's, that's true. If I'm Gerard and I'm only speaking for my, I, I think there's other options. And the other thing is if you're Gallant, you're probably waiting till the playoffs, Frank, because it, it happens every year. There's going to be one of these playoff teams that goes out in the first round that had mm-hmm. high expectations. They didn't reach it. And they're going to look to change their coach. That, so that's who, I'm, I'm just going through, like, I, I'm, you know, while we were talking, I'm going through my list thinking of what are the other potential openings, Arizona. I'd be shocked if Rick Tockett it goes back there yeah. uh, as a pending free agent. He's actually going to be on our free agent frenzy board as one of the top available free agents this off season, because, you know, he's a guy that teams are going to be clamoring for. Um, is there a potential coaching change coming in Anaheim? I'm not sure, but what, if you're looking at some teams that might flame out in the first round, like what if Colorado doesn't get out of the first round? Yeah. That could, Jared Bednar could be a good one. Right. Like I want, I just wonder, like, I think Bednar's fine there's, coach, but there's not many, like the point being, I don't think there's that many maybe. And, and then Buffalo, is there an opening with their interim coach? Dude. What yeah. happens in, in Montreal with Dominic Ducharme? Although Gerard Gallant doesn't have the French factor. I don't know. How many openings are we really oh, going to see? What What about Winnipeg? What if they don't make it? I don't know. I, Kevin Cheveldayoff and Paul Maurice are in lockstep. I, yeah. I just, I have a hard time believing that that would be the outcome. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's, but the playoffs, people get emotional sometimes. The pressure in that market will be intense though, if that team loses in the first round. Oh yeah, for sure. So it's lots of fun. We got playoffs for, uh, for the American divisions. We'll start on the 15th of May and uh, we have uh, the North maybe on the 18th or 19th, uh, nothing secured yet, but uh, we'll get into that later on this week. Frank, glad to f- hear that uh, you're, uh, you're doing better, uh, feeling better on the, uh, the road to recovery. And uh, we want to uh, thank once again, uh, our good friends, our new sponsors in the, uh, the woodjersey.com studio. You can uh, check it out at woodjersey.com. If, if you like jerseys and you like, as Frank said earlier, the intricacies of a wood jersey, I know we're going to have some, uh, we'll show them up in the pod sooner, but uh, check it out, woodjerseys.com. We'll talk to you Friday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first, and you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.